Welcome to Friendly Words, the sermon podcast of Pratt Friends Church in Pratt, Kansas. The message you're about to hear was originally preached at Pratt Friends Church on Sunday, April 10th, 2022. It focuses on Jesus' endurance of the torture of his final hours for our benefit. The message to all who will listen is we are saved by faith in Jesus because he looked not to his own desires, but to the will of the Father. Now, here is Pastor Mike Neifert. Let's pray together. God, thank you that you are here and you're ready to speak to us. I pray that your word as it goes forth would accomplish your purposes. And God, we have friends all around us who need this message of the good news, this message that Jesus died for them, for their sins, so that they could be set free from the power and the guilt of sin and be given eternal life through Jesus, your son. And God, I pray that you would give us boldness in proclaiming the good news, especially this week as we approach Easter and and remember Jesus' death and his resurrection. We're grateful for what you've done, and we look forward to celebrating together that. But today, we come to the cross, and we remember what you did for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, I was uh, bullied a little bit when I was a kid. I remember in early elementary, a kid breaking an egg over my head as I was walking home from school. I don't know. It's just one of those things that happened. I don't remember much else happening at that particular school in Seattle. But a couple years later, living in a small town in rural Iowa, let me tell you, bullying is much worse in small towns, or so it seems. Anyway, this small town, I had to deal with a bigger boy who liked to hit me on the shoulder all the time, at least two or three times every time we got on the bus. He was my near neighbor, and he just loved to do that. Seventh grade... Still in the same school district, I was punched in the back while standing at the urinal in the boys' room. What in the world? Uh, And I also got punched in the face once for bragging about my grades. Probably deserved that. Anyway, at one of the two high schools I attended, again in a small town, two or three guys enjoyed punching me when I walked by them in the hallway, and they loved to pick on me in study hall. Sometimes I would take roundabout routes to get to class just to avoid finding them. I could take the downstairs and run up the back stairs and make it usually without getting punched. Most of the time in study hall, I would just get a hall pass to go to the computer lab so that I could escape that for a few minutes. I don't know how in the world this guy got seated right next to me. Anyway, I used to be able to rattle off their names without much thought, but as I was trying to remember those names this week, and I won't mention their names, I found that I finally had a struggle to remember their names. First time in my entire life that I couldn't just pull them up like that. It's like, uh, I don't know. I did come up with them eventually. Sorry. Please understand, I'm not holding grudges against these people. I don't think of them and see, I don't think of them all that often. And I don't utter curses under my breath. They're forgiven, and I've moved on. In fact, one of them came back about a year after we had gotten out of high school, had a great conversation with them. The Marines had done him well. And so I'm not holding grudges against them, just letting you know some of the stuff that I went through as a a kid. In Mark chapter 15, Jesus faces far worse 
than I ever faced, far worse than any of us have ever faced. His enemies did more than just punch him as he passed by in the streets of Jerusalem or slapping him in the temple courts. They went all the way and saw to his execution. His dying agony at their hands was the worst of the worst. He endured it for you and me. I love what the writer of Hebrews says of Jesus toward the end of the book that God inspired him to give to us. After praising all those who endured hardship for their faith in the Old Testament, this unnamed scripture producer says a few things about the way we should respond to their example. And I'm reading Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. This is what it says. Therefore, because of all the things that we've seen, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sins that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The men and the women in the Old Testament times who actually followed God endured great hardships rather than turn away from God. They show us endurance is possible in the here and now and profitable for eternity. Being faithful to God's way pays off in the long run, doesn't it? And then there's Jesus. He endured the cross because he knew it was the only way to bring about the salvation of sinful mankind. Knowing so many would experience freedom in him and eternity with him, he submitted to God's will and is now at God the Father's right hand, ruling in power. We saw that in the scripture. We consider his suffering today as we go through Mark chapter 15. And as we do so, we need to keep in mind the joy that he was experiencing even as he was treated cruelly. All he endured, he endured for us, for our good and for our salvation. By his stripes, we are healed. Woohoo! That's Greek for hallelujah, I think. All right, are you ready to hear God's word? I've invited Susan to come and read Mark 14 for us this morning. As she does so, please listen to the Spirit's whispers as the words pour into your ears. Let the Spirit speak to you, his message, and I encourage you to follow hard on the heels of Jesus. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus as he procures salvation for us through his death on the cross. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin reached a decision. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of? But still, Jesus made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now, it was the custom at the feast of a, to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionist who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate, knowing it was out of envy that the chief priest had handed him over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. 
What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace that is called the Praetorium and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, and he did not take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So you, who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. And in the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, this king of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see now and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran and filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. And with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Some women who were watching from a distance among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. And in Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. It was the preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died, and when he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary, the mother of Joseph, also saw where he was laid. 
Well, let's take a moment to and recall all Jesus went through, recognizing his mistreatment and the misapplication of the law that began even before this chapter opened. Last week, we read about the kangaroo court, which brought forth false witnesses to condemn Jesus. And when those efforts failed, they turned to blasphemy charges to ensure his quick dispatch. You remember these words from Mark 14? This is verses 64 and 65. They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, Prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. Add to this the emotional stress of having a close friend lead enemies to the garden to find you, and knowing another has under pressure denied that he knows you, and still others have run off to hide, leaving you alone swinging in the wind. All this took place before Jesus was dragged off to the Roman governor's palace for yet another joke of a trial, which was followed by more beatings, insults, mockery, and finally that cruel, pain-filled death by crucifixion. Imagine going through all that as an innocent man. Completely innocent. No sin whatsoever. You and I cannot imagine being sinless. At least I assume you can't imagine that. I can't. Without much effort, we can recall memories of wrongs that we've done in the past. Even though I was bullied by other people, I also did wrong to friends and to students and classmates. We know that we've broken the laws of God. We remember some of our worst transgressions, and we can recall in vivid detail the worst of our violations. When Paul in Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, we nod our heads and raise our hands. Yep, that's me. We've sinned and we've been sinned against by nearly every person in our lives. We've been hurt by friends and strangers alike. We've harmed both relatives and neighbors. Jesus had only been sinned against. He had never done wrong to another, free from guilt of any kind. He's arrested, tried, spit upon, punched, flogged, and executed. He endures all this to secure your salvation and mine. He suffers patiently because he knows his salvation will rescue sinners from hell. His blood will make mankind, all those who believe, righteous, allowing them to spend eternity with God the Father. Let me read you the context of Romans 3.23. If you go a couple of verses before it and read a few verses after that verse, you get a fairly adequate view of the entirety of the good news. Listen to Romans 3, 21 to 26. Take it in. Take in all that the Spirit inspired Paul to write. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So if we believe in Jesus, 
We're given righteousness, a right standing with God. We receive this gift by grace. We don't deserve it, not at all. What we deserve is wrath. What we get is freedom from the guilt of sin and freedom from the power that sin has over us. If you've put your faith in Jesus, rejoice for what he's done, what Jesus did for you. Never forget the price that he paid to secure your redemption. He bought you out of slavery to sin and brought you into his kingdom, a place of light and joy and peace. Now, I know I barely touched on the text of Mark 15. I'll remedy that in just a moment. I just couldn't focus on the things that Mark records for us without talking about the impact for us. So let your hearts fill up with praise as you think about what Jesus has done. Let these words from Revelation chapter 5 lift up your soul in worship. All of heaven shouts their praise to Jesus after he's accomplished what we're going to see him accomplish. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. All right. Now we're ready to look at Mark 15. The chapter begins with Jesus' second trial, the one which will determine his fate, or so it seems. I will remind you, because Mark doesn't mention it, that Jesus is submitting to Pilate's ruling because it will accomplish God's will. If it was not Jesus' time to die, Pilate would have had no power over him. Jesus is the Son of God. You can't do to him anything that he doesn't allow you to do. You cannot harm him unless he submits himself to you. The kings and the governors of the earth are as nothing to God. We're watching Jesus endure a trial, which is a travesty from beginning to end. He's handed over to the governor and accused, it seems, of claiming kingship over the Jews, though it doesn't really say that he uh, asserted that himself. Why else would Pilate ask him the question that he asks in verse 2? Are you the king of the Jews? Then Jesus waits while the religious leaders who hate him spew forth their accusations, their false accusations. Jesus, to the amazement of Pilate, answers not one of their charges. Pilate, looking desperately for a way out, proposes the release of Jesus over a known murderer. Jesus knows what's going to happen even as the governor puts forth this idea. He knows that he's going to die at the hands of the Roman forces, which Pilate commands. He knows it's God's will, and so he endures. He listens as the people point fingers his way and shout, crucify him. He knows what's going to happen next. This section closes with these words found in verse 15. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Almost 10 years ago, we worked our way through Henry Blackaby's book, Experiencing God. If you recall, one of the main things that we learned from that, one of the main themes of the book was that God is always at work around you. And when times are tough, this can be a comfort, but if times are as rough as they are for Jesus, God's at work becomes a question, an internal question. 
when his will for us doesn't lead to rescue or good things as we determine them to be good, we wonder sometimes out loud if he's still on his throne, if God is still in charge. Let me assure you, God is in charge of what's going on with Jesus. Innocent as Jesus is, he's sentenced to die. God's will does not mean good for us in the way that we picture good every single time. Sometimes the good that he's working out is for bigger kingdom purposes and for the benefit of others and not just for us. Jesus must die for salvation to become available. God is at work bringing about your rescue and mine. He is always at work. Praise God. He's at work as Jesus is tried and condemned. He's at work in your life, no matter what your circumstances, no matter how you feel about your situation. God is at work. What happens next in Jesus' final hours is pretty awful. He is first mistreated and mocked by Pilate's soldiers. When they've had their fun, he's led out to be crucified. He's weakened so much by what he's already endured that they had to grab a guy from the crowd to carry his cross to the place of execution. Jesus is offered a painkiller of sorts. He refuses it. The nails are driven into his wrists and feet. He's hung, and death awaits. While his blood is spilling from his wounds and pain is racking his body, the emotional abuse begins. Everyone joins in, passers-by, the religious leaders who have been at odds with him for years, the guys hanging on the crosses beside him. Is there any single kind word spoken? None that Mark makes us aware of. Jesus endures. Thank God he endures. He endures for you and me. He endures so that we can have salvation. That's the joy that his eyes see as his ears are assaulted with hate-filled words. When you're insulted and mocked for your faith, keep your eyes on Jesus. Find joy in him. Find courage through his example. Trust the Spirit to see you through. Here's what Jesus said earlier in his life. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Endure. Wait patiently. Your reward will be great. All the trials, both the physical and emotional, will fade in importance when you see Jesus face to face. We'll hardly remember the light and momentary pain from our time here on earth. One more thing we have to deal with before we go. We have to deal with Jesus' desperate words in verse 34. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How does God forsake God? Was the Trinity's fellowship broken in that moment? Was Jesus truly alone for the first time in forever? This is a mystery which many speculate about, but which we cannot fully know. We have no for sure answers, but in that moment, Jesus felt despair. What we can know is this. God will never leave you. He will never forsake me. Even when we feel alone, we are not alone. God is with us. He walks with us when life falls apart. He is by our side when we are mistreated or mocked. He is Emmanuel, God with us. I wonder today if there are any of you here who have not given your life to God through Jesus. The only way to spend eternity with God is to accept the gift of life which he offers through his son, Jesus.
Jesus paid the price for our sin on the cross. His death means that we can escape the condemnation that sin brings upon us. We can have eternal life through him. I urge you to put your faith in Jesus. He is the only way to the Father. He said it himself. No one gains salvation unless they come through the Son. Believe that Jesus is the Savior. Believe he is your Savior and King and submit to him today. Thank him for the amazing gift of grace that he's given us. Thank him for his mercy. Then live for him in the power of the Spirit. Let's spend just a few moments in silence responding to what God's given us today. Talk to God about the tough stuff that's been happening and ask for patience to endure. Let God soften the blow of the insults, receive his comfort, and ask for his rescue, ask for his salvation. Let's take just a few moments and respond to what God has for us. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for what he endured for us. And Jesus, thank you for looking to what would come and finding joy in our salvation. God, I pray that you'd help us to live in the joy that you have. Whatever comes our way this week, I pray that you would give us courage to face it. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you have been encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. If you want to hear each week's message, be sure to subscribe to Friendly Words in your podcast app. May God bless you as you follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit.